When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Samantha Wolford? Ernest Lee Ibera Jr. was born in Mount Pleasant, Texas in 1985. He went by the name Ernie. Growing up, Ernie would develop an interest in computers. He learned how to repair them and played a number of video games. Samantha Wolford was born in 1989. In high school, she had a boyfriend. The couple would have twins. Samantha met Ernie in a tattoo shop in 2008. They became romantically involved. In 2011, the couple would have a set of twins. So Samantha now had two sets of twins. In 2013, Samantha would have another child. The family of seven lived in Monticello, Texas. They struggled financially. Ernie was desperately trying to keep up with the bills. He worked two jobs to support his family. One job was operating machines that manufactured products used in baseball, and his other job was at Little Caesars Pizza. Samantha decided to start a YouTube channel. At the time of making this video, her channel is still active. It has about 2,000 subscribers, and the last video was uploaded in 2014. On the channel, Samantha talked about day-to-day -day life, what it's like to have five children, and various goals. According to people who knew Samantha, she wanted to be internet famous. She started to commit more time to social media fame and less time to caring for her children. During the same time, Ernie was also struggling with spending time on the internet. He had become so active playing video games that he wasn't investing time in his relationship with Samantha. Even though they were having trouble, Samantha and Ernie married in 2014. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. During the early morning hours of February 20, 2015, Samantha called her mother Rosie and said that intruders had entered her residence and kidnapped Ernie. She was tied up and frightened. Rosie called her sister, Ginger Kesterton, and asked Ginger if she would drive over to Samantha's residence. Apparently, Ginger lived nearby. When Ginger arrived, she found Samantha upstairs, gagged and restrained. The police arrived at the scene shortly after this. The front door was broken into several pieces. They found blood on a wall and hair by the door. Nothing valuable was taken from the residence. The police took Samantha in for questioning. She claimed that she and Ernie were sleeping when intruders barged into their bedroom just after 1 a.m. One of the intruders pulled the blankets down and startled her. A knife was held to her throat as another intruder dragged Ernie downstairs and beat him. After this, Samantha was taken downstairs. The intruders were forcing Ernie to look at Samantha as they continued to beat him. They were telling Ernie things like he did not appreciate Samantha, they were mad at him because he didn't treat her better, 
The intruders also explained that they were there because Ernie's dad had informed on a friend of theirs, and that friend went to jail. Samantha was restrained as Ernie was kidnapped. She managed to make her way over to the phone and used her nose to dial her mother's phone number. It sounds as though she was trying to say her mother was on speed dial. Samantha just slammed her face into the phone, and that's the number that just happened to dial. This explains why she did not call 911. Samantha was unable to identify any of the intruders because they were wearing masks and covered in black clothing from head to toe. The police attempted to locate Ernie by using his phone. There was a ping near Pittsburgh, Texas at 3.20 a.m. After that, there was no more activity from his phone. As the police continued to investigate, they found that Samantha had contacted the authorities in 2014 to say that Ernie had attacked her. Ernie was brought in for questioning at that time. He denied the allegations. He was arrested anyway. An order of protection was put in place. After the alleged intruder incident, Samantha tried to minimize the difficulty she had with Ernie as far as their relationship. She implied that all that violence was something in the past, nothing that reflected their current relationship. Samantha would go on to tell the police about the events leading up to the attack. She said that on the day of the attack, she went to a hospital to visit a friend who was having a baby. Right after saying this to the police, Samantha suddenly made an important connection. She told the police that there was a guy that she met right before the attack named Johnny Rebel. Perhaps he was one of the intruders. Samantha indicated that she met Johnny at the hospital and loaned her car to him so that he could drive their friend home from the hospital. As this was going on, she told Johnny about how Ernie had harmed her in the past. Johnny was greatly offended by this. He said that he took exception to someone hitting a woman and implied that he may be willing to intervene. The police identified Johnny Rebel as a 25-year-old man named Jonathan Kyle Sanford. He had recently been released from prison. The police arrested Johnny after Samantha told the police that she just received a text from him. He was at the hospital. When the police arrested Johnny, they also arrested his 26-year-old brother-in-law, Jose Ponzi. Johnny and Jose were charged with aggravated kidnapping. Johnny's story to the police was that his girlfriend was at the hospital to have a baby, and this is where he met Samantha. He did not know Samantha before this. Samantha talked about how Ernie was mistreating her, and Johnny told her that he could take him out of the picture. Johnny then recruited Jose, as well as a 28-year-old friend named Octavius Rhymes. The three men were planning on framing Ernie by planting methamphetamine in his truck. They purchased methamphetamine to this end. Samantha and her children were with the trio for this purchase. After consuming enchiladas at the house where Octavius was living, Johnny decided committing homicide would simply be easier. I guess he was thinking about all the work of opening the door of Ernie's truck, placing the methamphetamine inside, and then closing the door. It was exhausting to contemplate expending all that energy. He asked Samantha what she thought about her husband dying. She asked if he was serious. He said that all she needed to do was leave her front door unlocked. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Not wanting to waste the methamphetamine, the conspirators smoked it on the way to commit murder. After kidnapping Ernie, the men transported him to a neighboring county where Jose shot him in the back of the head. So the kidnapping and the murder occurred in two separate counties. At this point, the police had the three men for murder, but Samantha was acting like she was not involved. The police then made an important discovery. When the police were at Samantha's residence right after the kidnapping, they called a communications officer to determine the location of Ernie's phone. Samantha was aware of this. She was right there when the police were on the phone trying to ping Ernie's phone. She asked the officers for permission to use her phone to text her mother. Samantha used her phone to text messages to Octavius, telling him to destroy Ernie's phone. A few moments later, the police received word that Ernie's phone was near Pittsburgh, Texas. Samantha was right there when this was stated. So again, she became aware of this information. She then texted Octavius again and told him to get rid of the phone and move before a 30-second call took place between their phones. Samantha and Octavius were arrested and charged in connection with Ernie's kidnapping and homicide. In April of 2016, Johnny Sanford and Jose Ponzi pleaded guilty. They would each be sentenced to 50 years in prison. Octavius went to trial. He was found guilty and sentenced to 98 years in prison. Samantha also went to trial and was found guilty. She was sentenced to 99 years in prison for the murder and 50 years for the kidnapping. The sentences are to be served consecutively. Now moving to my analysis. The guilt of Samantha Wolford is not really in question. She admitted that she sent the text messages to Octavius Rhymes, but said that she could not remember sending them because she took Ambien that night. So I guess she was trying to make it seem like she was in some type of trance. She was so sedated that she was acting automatically. The evidence against her is fairly convincing, even beyond the text messages. She spent a significant time with the trio of home invaders the day before the murder. The night of the homicide, the five children were all sleeping in one room, when typically they did not. Also, none of them woke up during the kidnapping. Johnny and Octavius used Samantha's vehicle to drive to Walmart to purchase gloves at midnight on the day of the attack. Samantha was tied up with ribbons that were fragile, and the whole story about how the intruders were trying to show Johnny how he was a bad husband to Samantha just doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would intruders who were ostensibly trying to get revenge bother to give their victim a lesson in being a better husband? Were they trying to practice to further their second career of being daytime talk show hosts? It seems fairly clear looking at the evidence that Samantha was part of the conspiracy, although the original idea to commit homicide probably came from Jonathan Sanford. 
The case of Samantha Wolford has a few unusual elements to it. I will talk about three of them here. The first item is Samantha's status as an up-and-coming social media influencer. There is this theory that she was dedicating a lot of time to making videos and neglecting other responsibilities. She wanted to make a living as an influencer and wasn't going to worry too much about taking care of her children or her financial concerns. Samantha released 88 videos over the course of about three years. Only one was over 10 minutes long, and there were many under five minutes. It's clear that these videos were not well planned. She pretty much just turned on the camera and started talking. She was not putting forth a concerted effort to be successful. There's this idea that maybe she committed the crime in order to have something more interesting to discuss in her videos. She was obsessed with fame, like she was narcissistic, and her only focus was having people pay attention to her. Samantha may have been narcissistic, and that may have been tied into her social media aspirations, but I don't buy into the theory that becoming famous on social media was a motive for the crime. Between the time she uploaded her last video and the time of the murder, nine months had gone by. That's a long time to be inactive. The second item is the content of her videos. Does this tell us anything about her personality? I watched a few of her videos to prepare for this video. They are pretty challenging to watch because they're disorganized, meaningless, and boring. As I mentioned, it's just like she turned on the camera and started talking with no rhyme or reason. In one video, she literally said, I don't know what to say. In a few videos, she introduced new ideas about what she would be talking about on her channel, like she was always trying to figure out what the purpose of her channel was going to be. From May of 2013 until her last video, she seemed to be more committed to the idea of recording videos about her experience being pregnant. There is this sense in her videos that she believes she's somewhat popular, like she thought people would be very interested in the mundane details of her life. I guess she was employing the fake it till you make it strategy to be successful as an influencer, pretend to be successful in order to actually be successful. Here are a few of the different elements that emerged in her videos. She was impulsive and often became angry at many people around her, but wanted to give people advice on how to manage relationships. She was not able to get much done around the house, but she wanted to supply her audience tips on maximizing productivity. She did not have a very good understanding of social issues, but had strong opinions on them anyway. I think the theme that emerges on her channel was that she wanted to teach people about topics that she didn't understand and about abilities that she didn't have. Samantha was overconfident and believed that people would respond to her message for some unknown reason, almost like she didn't really understand how life worked, how events play out in reality. So now that I think about it, maybe she was cut out to be a famous social media influencer after all. She kind of checked all the boxes there. Based on the videos, it would appear that Samantha had low openness to experience, low conscientiousness, mid-range extroversion, low agreeableness, and high neuroticism. The third and final item I'll talk about is Samantha's prison pen pal profile. For a prisoner to have one of these profiles is not particularly unusual, but there were some elements of Samantha's that struck me as interesting. She writes that there is never a dull moment with her. She is a Mormon, addicted to caffeine, and loves to laugh and enjoy life to the fullest. She is not judgmental. She likes cosmetology, anime, gaming, literature, cats, cosplay, and the outdoors. I imagine one's appreciation of the outdoors is a little different in prison, 
instead of looking out at the ocean or trees, she's looking out at rows of barbed wire. I mean, I guess that's what she has to look at, so she's developed an appreciation for that outdoor experience. Samantha writes that she works hard so she can play harder. She encourages people to write her so they can play together and promises that the writer will not be disappointed. Moving to my final thoughts, it would appear to me that this is a case where all the killers were impulsive and irresponsible. They were willing to commit murder based on the unverified story of mistreatment from Samantha. I think it's a reminder of how easy it is for bad ideas to take form when people are unable to regulate their emotions. Samantha was living in a fantasy world which she believes did not have consequences. Now she has the rest of her life to face the consequences or to build a new prison-themed fantasy to once again escape reality. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. -S.